Today's podcast is brought to you by Kim Jong-un. He's the pudgy $6 million man. Just when you think you've got him, he springs back up and starts licking his hindquarters like a plump little cat. Kim Jong-un. Welcome back, Un. Anybody want to rag on me? Better take a shot while we got free speech. At this rate, the only future I see is everybody gets arrested by the thought police. So better say it now, better say it proud, better say it loud so it cuts through the crowd. Cause if everyone is talking, then nobody gets heard. I've been writing shit for years, but no one knows a word. So if you truly believe... Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross, and today my guest, he is the Democratic nominee for the U.S. Senate from Mississippi. He also served as the first African-American congressman from Mississippi since the Reconstruction era and was the Secretary of Agriculture under former President Bill Clinton. Mike Espy, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Justin. I'm delighted to be with you. You know, I am, uh, I'm so excited to talk to you. I, I know you have... Uh, You've obviously been in politics for a long time. Um, you've you've served under uh, President Bill Clinton, and you've got a long uh, you know history in Mississippi of organizing. I know your grandfather uh, organized. Um, it's just a, a pretty incredible past. But one thing I I got to ask you out about because I like to start off on a positive note, uh, hopefully a positive note. I know your son played football for the Washington Redskins, so I got to know. Is there going to be an NFL season come the fall? I hope so. <laughs> if we don't, I'm going to be a very disappointed football fan. You know, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a sports fanatic, and uh, I love football above above everything else. Well, so uh, I know I know that there'll be games. I believe that there'll be games. Whether or not there'll be an audience in the stadiums is another is another matter. I mean, think about. If there's a uh, game and, uh, in a stadium that seats 100,000 people and there's a guy next to you maybe rooting for another team, when they make a touchdown, he stands up and uh, popcorn, you know, uh, is all over you and he's shouting and spitting all over you, <laughs> you might be asymptomatic, you know. So yeah, yeah. Uh, until we have confirmation and the confidence in the sports going public, that we've got the virus under control and that there's uh, there's congregate testing where everybody's been tested, where we are confident that the guy next to you is safe. You know, I think I think um, the American public is going to be very cautious about paying money for tickets. Yeah, no, I... I... There, might be, there might be games, but they're not... The audience might be all TV audience. Yeah. Audiences. Well, I'm, I'm a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, so we're mostly a TV audience anyway. If you go to games, there's, there's nobody in the crowd, so. <laughs> I got you. You know, well, you know, maybe you might get a marquee quarterback then. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, uh, He's a quarterback. <laughs> are you, do you, who's your team? Are you, are, you a, are you a Washington fan? I know that's where your son played. Well, I was until he got cut. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he played for them for about three and a half years. And I went to almost every game, but uh, when they played the Pittsburgh Steelers, I was actually in the stands with my wife, and I saw my son going down the field for for a pass. He was very fast. He was by himself on the outside corner. Quarterback threw the ball, and I told my wife, Mike's going to make his very first touchdown. And as soon as he, as soon as the ball hit his finger, his left knee crumples. Oh, my God. 
tendon tore, and his leg just crumpled like a rag doll. Oh my it, it was God. awful. And oh. I, I ran down to the to the locker room, and I met him down there when he when he got on the stretcher. And the next morning, he had surgery, and uh, they repaired the leg, but we never got the speed back. Yeah. So he got cut cut about midway in the season. But look, but he's blessed. You know, he um, he played uh, high school football at Madison Central with four NBA players in a high school, and uh, he played with Eli Manning at Ole Miss. Wow. And uh, very few players, you know, going to the NFL. So he he reached his dream, even though he only played about three and a half years. That's that's pretty awesome. That's look, pretty he, awesome. He got his dream. I haven't got mine yet. <laughs> I want to be a citizen. Well, I, I mean, you've already been a congressman. You've all, you know, already served for a president. I'm wondering, you know, I read that you uh, basically, you, you ran in 2018. You had a very close margin. I think you got 47% of the vote against City Hyde-Smith. And then three days later, you signed up to run again. So it seemed like you were pretty fired up. Wow. You never like, you just kept rolling, huh? Yes, because I know that we can win. Uh, Justin, the uh, the real problem, everyone asked me, why are you doing this again? Well, there, there are a lot of reasons. But I know that this race can be won, and I believe that I'm the one who can win it. Because if you just remember, when that seat became vacant on March 11, uh, 2018, since the fair cock resigned because of ill health. Yeah. So that was on... You know, doing that cycle, most of the other Senate races were already well underway. And so here in Mississippi, ours was just starting. So I announced my intention to run the end of March, and I had to go from a zero basis, raise money, build a staff, get a platform, mm-hmm. all of that until November. So, and we still got 47%. So we only had about seven real months to run and raise money if we got to 47%. Yeah. So I figure I started so early because at least we may make more errors, but I won't make that one. Yeah. So we knew we had to have more runway and more time. This is why I decided to get out early. And, and how, has, how has the pandemic impacted how you guys and your team is running? Because, I mean, I, I hear you. It's like, okay – you know, last time you kind of had to throw it together. Uh, this time you have more time to prepare. But now you're facing a global pandemic. You're not out. You're not able to go knock on doors. You know, you've been you've had a campaign from from you know Zoom or Skype or wherever. Uh, yeah. I mean, what are you doing now to to reach voters? Even though, especially in Mississippi, because Mississippi is a state where you know not everybody has Wi-Fi. You know, a lot of folks, as you know. Or live out yeah. in the middle of nowhere, you know? Like, how are you How are you connecting to voters when it's, you know, you can't go door-to-door right now? Well, like everyone else, we have to adjust. So, uh, you know, like like most politicians, you have to, uh, you have to backslap and shake hands. Well, really, unlike most politicians, I really like to do that. I yeah. really like people. <laughs> I, like, I like sitting in the living rooms. I like looking them in the eye. And talk to them about their family's issues, and we went from the uh, we went from uh, like in February maybe twelve or thirteen different public events to March zero. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it was a market change. So we had to adjust. Yeah. So a lot of the things that I'll be doing live, we now have to do uh, over Zoom. Or we have to, for those, as you say, that who, does, who don't have Wi-Fi or broadband, we have to have uh, telephone town halls. Mm-hmm. So we do at least one telephone town hall every other week. But we have the announced uh, issue like Medicaid expansion or PPP or whatever it is. They already know what number to call in. And then I'll take all the questions for about two hours and the best I can. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then all of my staff are all working remotely from their homes in Mississippi and around the nation. So you just have to uh, acclimate to the new reality and do the best you can until things open up again and become more normal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's got to be. I mean, I talked to a lot of candidates, and everyone is adjusting in different ways. But it, you know, it's it's one of those things. I wonder, like, uh, you know, you you're trying to reach voters in Mississippi, and I know you did such a great job last time. You're well known in the state. Um, I want to ask you about kind of your family history in a second, but like. Yep. How do you talk to a lot of conservatives, a lot of Republicans, you know, a lot of folks who I know I know Jackson's different than other parts of the state, you know, but Mississippi is known as a as a deep south, deep red state. Like, how are you connecting to Republicans who, uh, you know, may just be upset with with the current state of things with Donald Trump and, and under Cindy Hyde Smith? That's a good question. Let me first tell you, though, that it's not as deep red as people think. In fact, that's why we think we're going to win this time, because not only uh, did we win 99% of the black vote in Mississippi in 2018, we got 18% of the white vote. And in the recent state elections, we noticed that a lot of these areas are really true to national trends. For instance, around DeSoto County, the Memphis suburb, those areas are turning blue, or at least purple. In 2018, we got 42% of DeSoto County. And these are Republican, thought to be Republican counties. We did very well. Uh, in Madison, that's a suburb of Jackson, we got about 47% of the vote. And, and Jim Hood won Madison County. And in the college towns of uh, Ole Miss and Oxford, uh, Starkville with uh, uh, Mississippi State or USM in, in uh, Forest County, we did extremely well. We won those counties. So, uh, you know, we don't have to win everybody. We just have to be strategic and win the places that gives gives us the most, uh, you know, 50% benefit. So, so I'll just say to you, first of all, a lot of people look at Mississippi and say, oh, that's very impossible, improbable, and all that. And I, I tell them, if you just look at the data, and we have the best data now in Mississippi's history, uh, we know where to go, and then my, my comings and goings are informed now by data. So, I, I, so I'm going everywhere, hopefully, once I'm able to again. But right now, we've been very strategic to fraternize those areas where we think we can uh, persuade people uh, white folks and also get out the uh, the black vote. But in answer to your uh, original question, uh, I am by nature a moderate person. Now, I'm a Democrat. I'm proud to be a Democrat. But 
look at my voting record here before in the Congress where I wrote the first bill as a freshman that was passed in the law by Ronald Reagan. So Ronald Reagan looked at my bill and he said, okay, here is an economic development bill. Well, here's a young man from Mississippi who's in the Congress that's written this bill to develop the areas in the lower Mississippi Delta, everywhere from southern Illinois to northern Louisiana. Better education, better housing, uh, reducing student debt, making sure that we can affect folks with with uh, bad health outcomes. And these are not goals for black folks. These are folks, these are goals for most people who are low income. And most folks in Mississippi who are low income are white, okay? Right. Uh, the second thing is that uh, right now, I'm the chairman of the board of a $400 million uh, nonprofit corporation. And it's also focused on economic development. So we build, uh, we give mortgages for first-time homeowners up till about $150,000. So I tell my friends in California and New York, $150,000 gets you a closet in Manhattan. <laughs> but in Mississippi, yeah. that'll get you a 4,000 square foot house. Yep. Yep. So my, uh, uh, my organization right now provides mortgages for low-income first-time homeowners. We, uh, we partner with Goldman Sachs, but we provide money for first-time business owners as long as the business makes sense and with cash flow. Right. For those areas without medical clinics, we will build a medical clinic out of the millions of dollars we get every year from the Treasury Department. And we build, uh, we build our grocery stores in food deserts from the USDA. And so when you come in to get your, your milk and meat, we don't ask whether you're black or white or conservative or, or liberal. When you are uh, submitting an application for a home, we don't ask you if you're black or white. We just ask you, how's your credit? Right. If you want to build a business, we don't ask you, you know, would you vote for SP or someone else? We just ask you we, if your business will cash flow. So I just tell them, I don't care about the race. I just care about what's in the heart and, uh, and, and uh, whether or not you will do something progressive for Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. And then when it gets to the issues, most people will be surprised that I do believe in the Second Amendment. In, in fact, I'm uh, going back, I'm dating myself, but I received the NRA's Golden Rifle, the highest award that the NRA's ever given to anyone. They gave to me when I was a second term member of Congress. Now, my thoughts about gun ownership has changed a great deal, but, you know, a, a lot of them also remain the same. So when it comes to, um, you know, the debt and deficit, all these things, I believe that if people just quiz me, they'll find out that I'm not as uh, liberal as they may think. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, uh, I can imagine. I mean, the thing is, what I like about what you guys are doing, what your campaign is doing, is that, you know, you are, like you said, reaching out across the aisle, reaching out to Republicans. And, you know, there's so many, there's so many things that Democrats and Republicans are struggling with. That it has nothing to do with party. It has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with, you know, being able to succeed economically or be able to have health care or basic, you know, education that kind of stuff. Um, 
but at the same time, you know, strategically, you guys are you're smart. You know, you're you. I, I'm a I'm an Oakland A's fan, and and I feel like you, you guys are playing some money ball over there. You know, you're you're like a, <laughs> yeah. You're the Brad yep, Pitt. Yep. You're the Brad Pitt of political candidates right now. You know, I I love it. Um, you know, you're the Billy Bean of of uh, of uh, U.S. Senate candidates. I love it. But you know, you know, I read that I read that book. You know, Moneyball, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, but they uh, they relied on data. Yeah. And in this campaign, that's the big difference between the SP campaign of 2020 and the SP campaign of 2018. Yeah. You know, we got started so late, and we had to build an organization. If we weren't able to create the database that women need to have to really be extremely competitive. And this time, uh, so, I mean, we built it over time, but this time we already had it. Yeah. So uh, I, I do know what these uh, blueing areas are. So the areas that turn about are turning purple, I know where they are. Yeah. Uh, I know that we got 99% of the black vote, but of the universal voters, only 32.5% turned out. Mm-hmm. And that's a disappointment. But there were 100,000 black voters who are infrequent voters who didn't turn out for me for whatever reason. You know, you know, it was two days after Thanksgiving and all of that. So there was a lot of reasons that we didn't even get closer than we did. But we've got to remedy that this time. Tell me about your grandfather. Because I know, I mean, you mentioned a second ago, we, I was asking you about your son and you know him realizing his dream of making it in the NFL, and you said you haven't quite reached your dream. You haven't quite captured that yet. Um, yeah. I'm wondering, why is it your dream to be a U.S. senator, and how much does that relate to? Because your, your grandfather seemed like a pretty remarkable man, and I, I would just want you to talk about that and let folks know a little bit about your background. All right. Uh, well, let me ask the first question first. Why well, want to be a U.S. senator? Uh, I prefer being elected rather than being appointed. So, I mean, I've been both. I've been an appointed cabinet secretary where you'll be holden to the principal. Your time is not your own. Your programs are not your own. You're always at the behest of your superior. And you, you, you work at his will and pleasure, or her will and pleasure. So, you know, I love that position, but I didn't like the structure of it. Uh, I think I I, uh, I do my best work when I've been elected by a base of people. I mean, the, you'll be holding to them. They can fire you during the election. Uh, I think that I was extremely effective as a member of Congress. I want to be a senator because you're one of 100. You're one of 100 voices in the most powerful body, in the most powerful country in the globe, on the globe. And I've always believed that if you want to make a chain stronger, you have to focus on the the weakest link in that chain. So when you look at Mississippi with the health outcomes and the low levels of education and uh, the, the, the rather poor image in the eyes of most people looking on, all of these things are things I believe that I can work on. I worked on all my life, and I could do it from a seat of power in the U.S. Senate. You know, I don't have to ask a president, can I travel here? I'll go there. I'll just do it. So so I think that I can make the best, I, I can serve the folks of Mississippi in an elected position, uh, representing them in the U.S. Senate, and, 
and bring progress that one human being can bring best being a U.S. citizen, all right? Uh, so that's why I want to go there. Now, <clears throat> I'm, in, I'm in a long line of public service. And even though my grandfather never sought elective office, he was certainly a public servant. He was born um, like in uh, 1887. And most of his parents were slaves brought to Mississippi from the states of uh, Georgia and Virginia. And they resettled in the Mississippi Delta. And he came of age in the early turn of the century, 1920, 1910, was a very young man. He founded the largest African-American organization in Mississippi at that time. And he called it Afro-American Sons and Daughters. It was a fraternal order. Uh, a lot of folks now call it uh, community economics. So he said to them, if you give me 50 cents a month, we can build an organization that will provide to you medical benefits. Uh, it started as a um, as a company that gave uh, uh, benefits for injuries that you suffer from work, you know. Right. Uh, you know, you would work and hurt your arm or your leg, you know, like you would apply, and uh, there weren't any insurance companies back then like that for black folks. So uh, he put the money and he would pay for, for, for uh, uh, remediation for, for, for hurt and harm. And then he said, why don't we go one step further, Bill? Bill, he said, I'll say it the way he said it. I want to build us a hospital. Because I'm tired of our women having babies in the cotton fields. Mm -hmm. So in 1924, he built a hospital in my hometown of Yazoo City in 1924. Well, I was born in 1953. And he was the custodian of that hospital. And they had like 30, 35 operations every month. In a 43-bed hospital. Right. And, uh, and then from there, he built a newspaper with 100,000 subscribers wow. called, the, called the African-American Century Voice. You know, the voice of a, of a generation. And, uh, and I read every editorial that he wrote. And he couldn't say go and vote, register and vote, you know, because... You know, the white citizens council and the Klan would string him up. But he did say, men, don't leave your families. Yeah. Uh, go to church, finish school, join the military, buy war bonds, save your money, graduate. Building up the uh, community structure is what he was all about. And then he built 36 funeral homes in Mississippi, which had been... He clipped all the other black businesses in the state. Wow. So he was, he never saw office, but he was as much of a public servant as anyone I've ever known. I've ever known. Yeah. So I just want to, I'm so proud to be his, uh, his grandson. And, uh, and, and here's another thing he did. He had a very large family. He had about, uh, he had seven children, but he had four daughters. And three of his daughters went to Chicago during the Great Migration in the 1940s. Yep. And he told each of his daughters, here are 
is enough money for you to buy a brownstone building for yourself. And I want you to claim an apartment in the basement or in the you know upper floors and rent out the rest so you'll never have to get married if you want to. You never have to depend on a man unless you want a man. And so he did that. And so I look at him. He was a paragon of of uh, someone who believed in self-sufficiency, someone who believed in giving back to the community. He had an entrepreneurial spirit. He never asked me to hand out. He always told people, let's work and pull out money, and let's build something as a society together. Yeah. And that was my grandfather. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I had a feeling that... That, that there was a lot of inspiration that came from him, and, and that's you know, oh, yeah. that's that's it's it's a pretty incredible history you have, and it's it's really cool uh, that you are. Let, let, let me tell you one more thing about him, which might be born savory. I always wondered. We lived uh, when I was growing up. Uh, he died when I was uh, sick, but I always wondered why there was so many white policemen going in and out of his house. Mm-hmm. And I began to get scared for him until I found out that he was also a bootlegger. <laughs> really? He gave he gave away bottles of liquor to the white policemen in our town, primarily on the holiday. <laughs> They're Christmas gifts. <laughs> so I said, look at him. He, this is protection. Yeah, yeah. it's true it's true (laughs) that's a great that's a great story I love it well I tell you what today's computer show was brought to you by Shooters Bar and Grill in Alabaster Alabama bourbon and rifles that's what we do all of our firing ranges are six feet away so you can do the distance shenanigans if you want to take a shot of bourbon and then take a shot of a sweet 12-gauge. Come on down, just off I-65 near the McDonald's. If you see Pussycat Strip Club, you done gone too far. for years, but no one knows a word. So if you truly believe, you better not hold back. Well, if you're a Nazi, forget about that. Now I'm getting off track, so wait, where was I? Oh yeah, Donald Trump, fuck that guy. Well, it's easy to believe that we all been deceived by a narcissistic prick dick with tricks. Well, um, if, if, Mike, if you have a few more minutes, I'd love to do a... I got a little segment I like to do called Five Lazy Questions I Wrote in Five Minutes. Um, sure. Okay, well, first first question I got for you. First question I got for you. Um, what is one perception of Mississippi? I mean, you've, I know you've spent time out in California. You went to law school in Santa Clara. Um, what's, like, one perception of folks outside of Mississippi that is just wrong? Everybody's poor. The perception is that everybody's poor and everybody suffers from a lack of education. Yeah. And that's just not true. We have some... Uh, incredibly wealthy people right here in Mississippi that are, that are business oriented and uh, you know they leave and go to Jackson Airport and go to go to Shangri-La you know mm-hmm. for vacation yeah so uh, so so that is a misconception um, second question I got for you so I live in Gulfport we talked about this before uh, before uh, we, we, we came on here but I know you've probably spent time all throughout the state. I'm wondering, like, as somebody who's new to Gulfport, what's, like, a bar or restaurant 
place that you like to you like to frequent when you're down here that or that you just would recommend for me? Mayor Mahoney's for their gumbo. Mm. Uh, I'm a I'm a good cook in my own right, and I love I'm a good gumbo cook. Uh, in fact, you know I'm I'm remarried, uh, but my first wife. The thing I take from that marriage is that her mother, my former mother-in-law, gave me the best gumbo recipe. That's the best thing I got in that whole marriage. <laughs> so, uh, so I take I take the um, my own gumbo. And I plus it up with my own fixing. So I I go to Mary Mahoney's and look at that that hundreds of thousand year old tree out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get a drink and uh, get a Bloody Mary, eat a, eat a, eat a bowl of gumbo, and I'm on my way. <laughs> That's great. I I I always wondered like what uh what can come from a a first marriage, and and it sounds like gumbo is what what can come from there. So. <laughs> my mother my former mother-in-law's gumbo recipe is to die for <laughs> that's great um are you so i know you said you're you're a big football fan um you know i don't know if the the shuckers are going to come back if they're going to have a season but you know did you ever when you were here did you ever catch any shuckers games like i know that's a big double a minor league team here yeah no 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 i i i really haven't i've not even been in that ballpark since they built it. Um, I really, I really haven't. But uh, with Mike played football, I went to every SEC game, home and away that he played. Yeah. So I've been all over the SEC football stadium. And then we played in the pro. I caught maybe half those games. Okay. Okay. In uh, baseball, I played baseball when I was. I played little league. But since then, I've sort of. You know, lost the baseball taste. So I've not, I've not been to the Sharks. Okay. Um, another one I got for you. How has when you joined, when you were the first congressman from Mississippi, African American congressman since Reconstruction? It was, I think you got, uh, I think you got elected, went into office in, I think, nineteen eighty six. If, if I'm yeah. right there. I feel like politics has changed a little bit since then. How, I mean, what is, in, in, in your mind, from your experience, what's the biggest way politics has changed from 1986 to 2020? It's, it's so nasty now. It's just nasty. Yeah. There's a lack of stability, and the parties are so polarized. In 1986, the biggest political test came in the general election. Right now, the biggest test comes in the primary. So all you have to do is convince people who are like you. You, you know, so if you're in the Republican primary, you don't have to worry about a general. If you're in the Democratic primary, you don't have to worry about a general. And so I'm, I'm really, uh, in, in many ways, my biggest test now comes in the general because I'm somebody who can reach across the aisle and talk to black, white, you know, Republican, Democrat, and all uh, all across the spectrum. So I will say that there's a there's a there's a lack of stability in this era of politics than than uh, there was when, when I was there. When I was there, you would fight like dogs, but then you go to the bar at night, yeah, and drink with your your Republican beer. And every morning, I'm a third degree black belt. Okay. And I, it took me seven years to get that in the Congress where. 
almost every morning that we were in session, I would get up and I'd have to go and do my taekwondo drills in the in the uh, Raven Building in the Capitol, where I was able to beat up on Republicans. They were able to beat up on me, you know. Uh, and then we dress, shower, and then go upstairs and bite. But then at night we go to the bar, have dinner, and talk about each other's interests and family. Yeah. And right now, I don't think they do that. No. Well, they, I mean, I don't see Mitch McConnell doing any sort of. Uh, I don't think he's too. <laughs> I think he. I think if I think he can kick his ass if it came to some karate action right there. So I mean, did you, <laughs> did you do you still practice well, that? Are you still are you still uh, I mean, are you still, uh, you know, in shape when it comes to all that stuff? I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. Now, I don't, uh, I'm not, I'm not at that skill level anymore. Uh, I'm a third degree, so, uh, so I lack, you know, I lacked a few black belts, but, but, uh, I try to keep in shape. I work out at my son's gym, Mike's gym. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. He runs the gym now in, in, uh, a suburb of Jackson. I work out pretty often with him. And then, if you go to my uh, 2018 social media postings, mm-hmm. you can see me working out with about 15 NFL current NFL athletes. Damn. Damn. Uh, so you know, you can see what shape I was in at least 2018. See, I think that's why we need. If, if I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we need you in the Senate, Mike, but. If nothing else, we need a more fit U.S. senator. We need we need to bring fitness back to the U.S. Senate. You know what I mean? Like we need. I agree. <laughs> we need to we need to bring it back to Mississippi. You know, I mean, uh, when you think about COVID nineteen and why so many people are dying. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you're elderly doesn't mean you have to be out of shape. Yeah. So all of these all of these preexisting illnesses and underlying factors you know that's for many different reasons some of them are generational and legacy discrimination based yes but some of it based on habits right. and diet yeah. and lack of exercise and so if we just take care of the parts that we can take care of we'd be way ahead we'd be much healthier and our medical bills would be as high and uh, the portion of bills that the state pays wouldn't be near as high. Well, so I'm all for that. I'm, I'm all for that too. I'm, I'm actually, you're talking to a vegan right here. So I'm, I mean, I don't, okay. yeah. So I, I'm, I'm one of those people who, uh, you know, I, I think that diet makes a huge difference, you know, and, and I'm a runner too. So like, uh, okay. you know, to me, it's, it's kind of one of the same. I mean, so you, I mean, you were secretary of agriculture, right? I mean, you, yep. you know very well about how much, uh, both plants and meat, you know, impact our system. Do you see any changes happening, maybe in a positive way even, to our food system that have maybe been brought to light because of coronavirus and the pandemic? Yeah, I do. In fact, uh, I participated this past Saturday in a food box giveaway. So this food box giveaway was a was by virtue of a program called Farmers to Family Food Box. And uh, the USDA uh, allocated $3 billion for this program. Wow. And so I was part of a group of volunteers this past Saturday giving food out to low-income people at two churches. But yeah. then I opened the food box. And there were potatoes, tomatoes, carrots, cabbage, lettuce. 
in that box. That's awesome. Oh, basically. That's awesome. They get, they get, uh, <clears throat> uh, I think they said they're going to get boxes until the money runs out. But it's probably be for the next three or four consecutive Saturdays. Fresh fruits and vegetables to low income people uh, at given out at churches and low income areas. And there were, <clears throat> well, well, this Saturday, there were at least 800 cars. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, yep. I that's, uh, I love it. Because I think one of the things that, you know, you're talking about a second ago with our habits and everything, but I mean, you know it, you know it better than almost anybody, but like when it comes to, uh, you know, I lived in Oakland, California, right? Like poor communities. Sometimes you get, you get these fast food restaurants that like prey on these poor communities. It's cheaper, all that kind of stuff, but it perpetuates a cycle. Right. And so I think it's a, I think it's great what you guys are doing. Um, I have, uh, I, I, I know, I know you're vegan, but um, I gotta tell you this. Yeah. Every, every Saturday that I'm in town, I go and get a, a Wagyu ribeye. Oh, yeah? A, you know, a Wagyu ribeye, and I grill it on my back porch. So <laughs> I, I get a good glass of wine, a good bottle of wine, and a Wagyu ribeye. So I'm not, I'm trying to reduce my meat intake as much as I can, but I've got to have that ribeye every Saturday. Why well, I, I can join you for the wine though. You know, I, I can I can I can bring some California wine if you want to ever do that. You know, I'll bring a I'll bring well, a good Pinot from from up in uh up in Sonoma, something like that. Did you know did you know that the sector of agriculture is over fifty culture in America? Oh I didn't know yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, well that's a lesson. So uh yeah. I was the I was the I was the uh I was Mr. Viticulturist. I loved it because I fly out to Napa Valley, and I would inspect the wineries, <laughs> and I would give I would give a lecture on uh, root fungus called phylloxera. Oh wow! And it would give me a chance to get out there and go to Napa Valley, uh, not as often as I liked, but I, but I love wine. Oh, I was gonna say, okay, okay, now that's I gotta I gotta ask you about that. What's your favorite? What's a uh, what's your favorite type of wine? Cabernet Sauvignon. You know that is uh, very very dry. Yeah, yeah, that's a big. Um, my fiance and I are. Uh, well, we we're originally before all this, we we're going to get married around Paso Robles out in it's actually Morro Bay, California, which is the coast. But oh wow! But we were going to go. You know, it's it's basically due west of, of Paso Robles, but that's where it's. They're a big cab country down there because it's so hot and dry. Yes. In that area, sure. So, yeah, I'm, I love a, it. I'm a big fan. Big fan. Um, all right, I got two more for you, Mike. Um, and thank you so much for, for taking some extra time with me today. Um, I heard you're a big Game of Thrones fan. Um, oh yes. I so I who you been talking to? <laughs> <laughs> I you know I know I know people right I know people but I heard that you were a big Game of Thrones. So I know nothing about Game of Thrones. Okay, I besides be, I watch a ton of sports and I watch a lot of news. Okay. Yes. But I know nothing about Game of Thrones. Am I too far gone to ever get involved in Game of Thrones, or, or should, should I just let it go, or should I try to get involved in it now? Well, that, the series know. is over. I mean, it's over. It's been over now for about four months, um, so there might be some sequels coming, Yeah, you know, in, uh, in the near future, but um, you can always go back and, uh, and download it, you know? Yep. Just, you can always do that. Once you... Once you go through uh, at least the 
third show in the first, the third episode in the first series, then you'll be hooked. What, what, what kind of, what, like, why, why did you get hooked? Like, what, what was the, what was it about that, about Game of Thrones that got you into it so much? I don't know. I mean, beautiful women, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful scenery, <laughs> dragons. I love it. I love it. Uh, sword fights, blood <laughs> and guts. Uh, all of that. It's, it's a, it's a fantasy, but also rooted in, in realism, yeah. you know? You got Daenerys Stormborn, who uh, who's fighting for her rightful place on the throne, and you see you see her being sold as a slave mm-hmm. and uh, raped and all of that, and then she ascends to become the leader of of um, of the Seven Kingdoms. You know, and then she's killed by by John. Mm-hmm. You, you know, so I mean, there's just so much to it. She has three dragons that she unleashes on the world. It's just it's just very entertaining, beautiful scenery. Uh, I like cinematography. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I love art and cinematography, and so this um, these scenes were shot in Northern Ireland, shot in um, in in Greenland, in Iceland, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. shot shot in Venice or what's the the shot near Venice. Yeah. And uh, just they just go to some some uh, idyllic places. And it's just beautiful. So yeah. um, you wrap that all up into an hour episode, and you you. Well, last thing I want to ask you about is uh, you just got the endorsement of Stacey Abrams along with uh, several other candidates um, running for the U.S. Senate. What does that mean for you? And um, you know, what, what do you think about this crop of of candidates from the south you know you've got jamie harrison in south carolina you know i know uh it's still up in the air who may win in in georgia but it seems like georgia could even turn blue uh yep. what does it mean to to get that endorsement from from somebody like stacy abrams i mean stacy abrams by all rights should be governor of georgia yep. she lost uh she won uh 98.2 percent of the vote if my memory serves me correctly and uh, we know that there's a lot of voter suppression in that cycle in Georgia. So I mean, I think I think she's smart as a whip. She is um, indefatigable. Yep. And she she exudes confidence. So I mean, she can invest the same confidence in uh, in her constituents. Yep. So I mean, and she showed that. Um, to be governor of Georgia in 2018 was something that could happen. Mm-hmm. And the same with the gentleman in Florida who lost by 99. You know, he, he missed being governor of Georgia by, I believe, less than 0.5%. So you can see now that um, in Jamie Harrison, you can see now in the South, and I'm a little bit older than all three of them, but in the South, you can see that you have a type of candidate that can speak across the aisle. You can, um, you got the powers of persuasion to, to excite your base. And, uh, and, uh, you've got the, 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 the powers of compromise to let everybody know that you have the capacity to rule. Yeah. 
So, and they re- it reminds me of when I first ran for Congress in 1986 in Mississippi in a district that was not majority black when it comes to voting age percentage. Mm-hmm. And I told them, I can win because I can excite the black community without inciting the white community. Yeah. And I think <laughs> that it's the, the mm-hmm. same uh, is true today. I can do it now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, um, you have been fantastic to talk to Mike and, uh, gosh, I, I hope you win and I hope you guys can, can break through and in the South can, can turn blue. I, I hope that, uh, you know, we can see a different type of representation coming out of the South because it's, yep. you know, I've talked to Andrew Gillum a couple of times. Uh, obviously I talked to Jamie Harrison just last week. Um, I've talked to, you know, different folks, uh, John Ossoff running in Georgia you know, it's yep. it's one of those things where it's going to happen, and I damn yep. sure hope it happens this time around, and that you're able to represent Mississippi because uh, you well, would just thank be. You. I, I thank you so much. It's been delightful to speak with you. Everybody, if you can support Mike's campaign, whether you live in Mississippi or not, go to sbforsenate.com. Uh, you can also check him out on Twitter at uh, Mike Espy, MS. And uh, Mike, one last thing: How can folks just, in, in general, like, what are you asking folks to do to help out and to join your campaign? Go to my website, mikesbforsenate.com. You'll see the positions that uh, you'll see the platform is positions that we favor and espouse. And if they all want to drop drop a nickel in the bucket, five dollars, ten dollars, there'll be a act blue link there. A red button, you just hit donate, and I'll get the money. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to go do my part. And, uh, Mike, thank you again for joining the podcast. And uh, best of luck, and uh, I really hope that uh, that you represent Mississippi come November. Thank you, Justin. It was a pleasure. Absolutely.